0: So believe it or not, we're in a sermon series. We started it in June, and it was actually a short sermon series. This is the longest it's taken me to do a short sermon series ever, uh, because we've kind of weaved in and out of it several times. We had a visit from a friend of mine. Uh, Nick uh, Ripkin was here. Um, Nick and Ruth were here, and they shared with us some of their journey and their story um, one week. So we took a break for that, and then uh, we did our Vacation Bible School stuff. And as you know, we have a week that we pray for families and children that are involved, and then we do our program, and then we sent a team to Africa that Callie and I were a part of. Uh, So those weeks, uh, Bobby Cook was here to share with us. Um, So thankful for him and the chance that he and his family had to be back among many of you who knew them so well in the past. Um, I didn't even get to be here, but I was just excited to get to invite Bobby to be here because I know all the wonderful things that I've heard about Bobby and Kim when they were here as a part of our family. Um, So it was a joy to invite them back and to let Bobby share. Uh, I've heard both those sermons that he came and he shared and you are supposed to have memorized the passage of scripture, right? This means yes. And I listened to the sermon. So I know you were, does anyone even know what passage you were asked to memorize? I heard some words. Where'd that come from? Was that you Aaron? No, it was up top. What was it, Bill? it how good did Bill do? Bill actually memorized it. I actually just wanted to know what what verse it was. It's Galatians 2:20, is that right? 19 and 20 maybe. So we know Bill memorized it because he just quoted it. Thank you, Bill. Good job. anybody else get it? No. anybody else even remember that Bobby asked you that? Morgan pulls it up on her phone. <laughs> I know that he challenged you with that, uh, and many of us wrestle with the idea of Scripture memory. What does it mean? How does it work? How do we do it? I, too, it's a struggle for me to memorize passages. Some of our kids did so at Bible school. They did an incredible job. Um, Bible school the last several years has decided instead of making them memorize just a verse, they give them like 14 verses. They seem so long, and some of these kids can nail it. Carson is great at that every year, at getting the passage, at memorizing it in a day or two. And being ready to say it Uh, It's an incredible practice that you and I need to continue to strive for and work on I love that we have easy access to the scriptures through our phone through ipads and through whatever it is But we don't always have those At a moment's notice and sometimes what we need more than anything is the strength and the reminder that comes from the scriptures from those simple verses that we have remembered that are a word of encouragement to us. So I do want to challenge you. Continue to do that. Uh, but thankful that Bobby was here two weeks ago. I know Scott came and also led us in music. Um, he was back again with us, which was great to have. Uh, it's always a great joy for me to see people come back Who had been a part of Valley at some point. So Scott had roots in Valley. We didn't even know that the first time we invited him in a year or two ago. Um, But had some roots in Valley and was back again uh, with the chance to share. And then Bobby, the chance to come uh, and preach for us again. but we were in a series. We started a series in June. We called the series Fan into Flames. You see that, that slide that's on the screen as we uh, talked about the idea of evangelism and what that looked like. And the idea of fanning into flames our faith and what it looks like to move forward. Um, back the first week of June, as we talked about it, we talked about two guiding passages. Title came from the book of Timothy, from Second Timothy. The, the words of encouragement that Paul had written to Timothy, this young pastor And in in second Timothy chapter one, starting in verse five, it says this, it says, I remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames, the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, he encouraged him to fan into flames his faith. It specifically says his spiritual gift, but I don't want us to get caught up in the idea that this is just talking about perhaps one spiritual gift that he had. I, I think it's, it's pushing towards that, but as we read about spiritual gifts, they really are a communal thing. They exist for the purpose of the body. So what is what is Paul really speaking to Timothy? That this faith, that this gift, that this strength, that these attributes he's been given to help lead the church be fanned into flames, be grown in new ways. The image would have given the idea of growth, of spreading, of heat, of movement. And I think that's what Paul wanted to happen with the work that God was doing in Timothy and with the work that God has done in us. That it be fanned into flames, that it be nurtured, that the fire be stoked, that we see growth in that fire, that it becomes bigger and bigger inside of us and eventually begins to spread and impact and influence the lives of others whom we come in contact with day in and day out, wherever we may go. The second of the guiding passages that we talked about is one that we typically call the Great Commission. It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Verse 19, it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This challenge that Jesus placed before his disciples, before his followers, all of those followers to go and to make disciples. Disciples. This was the call. This is the call of being a Christ follower. It is disciple making. It's making and growing new followers of Jesus. It's, it's choosing to follow. And in us choosing to follow and in their choosing to follow, they understood that part of that choice was disciple making. This was not later. This was not if they got really advanced in their faith practice. This was not if they really got committed to Jesus. But part of following Jesus was always, from the very beginning, disciple-making. We would say it's the entire reason Valley exists as a church. I would say to you that if our works get to the place that we aren't making disciples... It's time for us to close the doors and stop being a church because we already stopped before we closed the doors. If we are not making disciples, we are not the body of Christ that we've been called to be. We exist to make disciples, to help people, including ourselves. Come to know and follow Christ more faithfully. To help them take steps ahead, steps forward on this journey of faith that we talk about. This discipleship journey that every person is on from knowing nothing about God to being a faithful follower of Jesus. And our role, our responsibility is to help people take steps forward. Some of us take one or two, some take lots and lots of steps forward, but over and over again we're helping people, including ourselves. It's not like we got there, now let's just bring everybody else along. We're still What's Tom, what are you doing? Did you get tired of listening to me? So you just shut off? I see some
1: color
0: light. I don't know what color it is. He asked me that too. It was orange. Does orange mean my battery's dying? It's flashing. I'm going to need some batteries. Um, (laughs) All kinds of tech stuff today, isn't it? Sometimes I like to tell the story of the one time before a worship service that I prayed for tech stuff. The one time, because that time... Everything died mid-service screen stopped working mics went crazy and I was like, I don't know what this means But we'll just trust that god has the technology dealt with and I won't specifically mention it before we do worship um, I got scared of him, I guess. Um Thanks, mike, um Where in the world was I? Oh, we're talking about making disciples. Um, The reality that that's why we exist. That's what we do. We're walking forward. We're bringing others with us in this process. And along that way, along that journey, we believe people need to make some type of personal decision to walk with Jesus. Some type of decision that they, too, want to continue to walk towards Jesus on that faith journey. Otherwise, we're on that journey with no real intention and with no real understanding as to where we're going. Thanks, Mike. So part of how we help people find their way towards the idea of a faith decision is through the practice of evangelism. And, and I would define evangelism kind of in its broadest sense of communicating with people that they're loved by Jesus. In a multitude of ways, but it's communicating with people that they are loved by Jesus. A lot of times as we talk about evangelism, we tend to settle for this idea that evangelism is sharing with people the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation, you might know, is, is three or four or five steps depending on what method that you're using of how a person becomes a Christ follower or makes the faith decision or walks through this kind of last step of conversion. And there's nothing wrong with the idea of sharing with folks the plan of salvation. At Vacation Bible School, they use ABC. Admit, believe, confess. Commence better, but I think confess is what they change it to. There's the four spiritual laws, which are another method. There's nothing wrong with those. There's, there's nothing bad about those. My struggle with them is that when we think about that alone as the gospel, we limit the full expression of what the work of the gospel is. We minimize the good news that God talked about to only this idea of how to get saved when for Jesus, it seemed to be so much more than that. It most definitely included that, but it was more than that. We talked some about that last week as we talked about Zambia and our work that we were doing there and what impact one was doing there. So we want to share the fullness of the good news with others. We want to be people who communicate to others. You are loved by Jesus. And here are the dreams Jesus has for your life. So in this series, we've been using a work that that a friend of mine, Doug Dubois, put together. It's called Six Simple Steps. And in it, we've been talking about some, some broader and fuller understandings of what it means to do evangelism. Some clear intentional steps we can take to help share our faith with other people. We've walked through five of them today. We're going to hit the sixth one. Each of these things could exist alone, but together they create this process, this this journey that you might walk through with someone. These steps that might happen, sometimes in succession, sometimes not in succession. But But this process is not a slow process. This is no quick fix. This is no sitting down and having a five-minute conversation with someone with the understanding that at the end of that, they're going to have committed their life to Jesus. Now sometimes that happens, sometimes we walk through those journeys, but this is a, is a longer, more committed, deeper dive into helping people find their way towards Jesus. Doug would say it's going to take as much as a year. I would say it could take longer with lots of people. My hope is, as we've talked about it, we started in June, that you've maybe practiced some of these steps. That you've been intentional in a relationship that you have with one of them or two of the steps, and that you've begun to kind of walk forward in this process... Through these six simple steps. If you remember. The first one was prayer. The second was celebrate and serve. The third was radical hospitality. The fourth was tell your story. And the fifth was ask the question. Now I'm not going to walk back through what each of those are. Hopefully you have some memories of what some of them were. If not you're welcome to go back and listen to those, uh, those sermons online. They should be on our website. But I'm going to ask a question. We don't often do this. I'm not sure I have time today, but we're going to do it anyway. Are there some of you that perhaps have practiced some of these and would be willing to share that story with us? You don't have to share a person's name. You don't have to share that someone has has made a faith decision or or, or jumped across this this place of, of deciding to walk with Jesus. We just want to celebrate your faithfulness together. So is it is it possible that you have a story of doing one of these or a couple of these that you'd be willing to share with us? I know I'm putting you on the spot. I know a few of you are practicing these. That doesn't mean I'm going to call you out, but I know that you are and I'm thankful. Um, and really, if you're willing to share, again, it's just because we want to celebrate your faithfulness. Would anyone share a story? Apparently Callie will. I can always count on Callie to talk. <laughs> Um, mine really has to do with prayer, and uh, the week we started talking about prayer, I
2: started praying for my neighbors that were across the street from me, and really just praying for more opportunities
0: to be around them. And then sure enough, that week, um, we're outside, our kids are playing, we're having more conversations with them, and it was very simple, but very just God in the moment heard my prayers
2: and allowed that opportunity, so...
0: Thanks, Cal. Anyone else? Yeah, Bunny.
2: I'll just say one minute. Um, While I have been uh, having this illness I have had, uh, in which I've experienced a lot of of, uh, loss of sight in my eyes, but while I was in the hospital uh, for that period, and then this has been an ongoing thing, I've just had so many opportunities Mm. to share what, uh, you know, a feeling of being strong and why. And just had a number of things in both the hospital, but also in my living arrangement where I've been able to share. Because, you know, you talked about memorizing verses, and... I did that when I was uh, when I was younger, when I was uh, in college and stuff. Did memory systems, but you know when I couldn't see and when I thought there'd be no light hmm. anymore, those scriptures just. I mean, I was just filled. I just thought, Oh Lord, you you didn't forget me, wow. even though I can't see. <laughs> well, you didn't forget me, and I just had so many opportunities. and And one person I said. Uh, One person who said things to me was it was when I was going in the operating room, and they said and she said, she started talking. She said, "I'm praying for you," and I said, "Well, I need it. I need." (laughs) And so you just you just do that, and then we just started sharing. But and finally I said, I said, "Who are you? Are you a nurse? Are you an angel?" (laughs) <laughs> and we had this uh, had this conversation, but I've just been so thankful for the things that I have in me that I, I can't read very well now, and I can't mm-hmm. do so many things, but I'm thankful that they are still in me because I was I was fortunate. I started young with a grandmother that insisted we do these, yeah. and then later I was with the. Uh, in my college years, I when I did intervarsity and all that, I learned memory systems. But I did have opportunities you, when we are, when God gives us strength, he also gives us words that we don't have.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And as we talk about those steps, the one we've talked about already, tell your story is where that would land it. As Bunny has had a chance to tell our stories over and over again of God working in that. Did I see your hand, Jim?
1: My neighbor, my neighbor. I have a deep voice. It you gets kind of loud. Tom, is that the level now? You. Okay. My latest story is my neighbor's son was diagnosed with level four lymphoma, which is usually a, a death certificate. That's usually a sentence to death, even with today's modern technology. And so they had told me that a few months ago. And so we were all praying. And I mentioned it to the prayer group. And I had... The prayer group that I go to. To start praying for him. And so I was out in the yard last week. And Diana came up to me and said. I wanted to tell you. There's been a miracle. My son just finished Kibo. And he has no more tumors. There were 50 tumors in his body. The doctor said they're all gone. There's nothing there. So. You don't think miracles happen nowadays? Because people, some people say, miracles don't happen anymore. Well, folks, I'm here to tell you, they do. They happen regularly. Things you may not think of, but they do occur. So, that's my latest praise. That's my story as you, of late.
0: Jim. Thank you, Jim. He's about to start preaching there. I thought I was going to have to cut him off. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story, and thank you for your prayers. Yeah, Mike. kind of cheating, this isn't mine, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> the people who did these aren't here, so I'm going to call them out for them. Um, the Petersons, Frank and Trudy, um, Alex and Sarah, Jen Blake, Amy, Sedera, uh, and... Jackson Elkins, if we're talking celebrate and serve in radical hospitality, I can't think of more people fresh in my head over the last two weeks that have taken care of me and Ellen. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I think, you know, these steps are not just for non-believers. These are for us to encourage each other as well to raise disciples within the church. Yeah. So that's one of the ways, you know, we've been loved on tremendously over the last two weeks. And, of course, Jackie, Bernie, and Lauren. Right. <laughs> so I'll call you guys out since you're here. <laughs> Mike, thank you. Thank you. And, and I think, yeah, Aaron, I know you don't, but some people want to be able to hear you. Um, I'm going to talk about hospitality and just not myself, but Tuesday, um, was the funeral service. And what I saw was our church coming together in many different ways to minister to the family of, um, Carolyn, and I was just so encouraged by how Valley really worked in hospitality as a family. Thank you me too. It was a great sign to see um, and be a part of and there are stories and there are more stories, and I know that others of you have stories of what you've done and ways that you've begun to connect or ways that you have begun to share. Uh, perhaps it's with neighbors or it's with friends, and we can keep going and going and going. Uh, I love that you shared stories. We I wasn't sure you actually would say anything. Uh, so thank you for sharing stories with me and with us. As we have a chance to celebrate together that this work is happening. And Mike, I agree with you. I think part of what we see happen in this, and and my personal opinion, is that we end up with a mistake of saying evangelism is this, discipleship is what happens afterwards. So in our language of discipleship, evangelism is a piece of that. And these are some of the ways in which we do evangelism, but ways we also go on to be the church together. We do that through hospitality, we do that through celebrating and serving, we do that through praying together, uh, we do that through telling our stories together, and we do that through continuing to ask questions of faith and what's happening. Today I want to talk about what this sixth step is, which again is for kind of this entire journey of discipleship, but especially if we think about it as the idea of helping people find their way towards Jesus. The sixth step is what Doug calls never walk alone. And I don't think there's any better model of this in the scriptures than Jesus himself. Jesus was deeply committed to this. In fact, as we read the scriptures, we rarely find Jesus by himself. Often he's surrounded by crowds. Crowds of people who have lots of different opinions about what it was that Jesus was teaching. Some of them intrigued by it, so they've come just to hear parts of it. Some of them excited about it because it's moved them in some way and they want to be gathered around this teacher. Some of them angry about it. Angry about what Jesus had to say and they didn't like it, but these crowds would gather and among the crowds There was this other grouping of people often not mentioned by name, but instead mentioned by their grouping We know them as the disciples And more often than not when we think of the disciples we think of the 12 that are most familiar to us The 12 that are mentioned in this passage by name in mark chapter 3 12 are mentioned and they're called out by name And yet there are almost certainly more than 12, even at this point. But definitely as we move further along in the scriptures, we find a sending out of 72 had to have been more. We find a gathering of 120 in an upper room, obviously more than 12. But even before this passage, before we see that 12 were called out two or three times, we see that Mark mentions Jesus and his disciples Those who were following after him, those who were learning from his teacher. So almost certainly there were more than just these 12, but these 12 were a representation of them. They weren't picked out in exclusivity. They weren't picked out instead of the others. They were picked out to help represent who the others were. They were also picked to send a message. There was something significant that Jesus was trying to say in the choosing of 12. He was making sure that people understood that the restoration of God's people, the restoration of the people of Israel was coming about as these 12 represented the original 12 tribes that we saw. But I think also these 12 were called out among the others because Jesus wanted to go deeper with them. Jesus wanted to push them further. Jesus wanted to spend intentional time in development with especially these 12. Something he probably couldn't do with a group as large as it would have been. Now again, I would challenge, I think there were more than 12 that Jesus did this with. I think the 12 really has to do with making sure that it fits along the 12 tribes. But I think easily we could come to the number of 50. Even in and knowing their names, because I think Martha, Mary and Lazarus, uh, Lazarus clearly would have been a part of what Jesus was doing this with. Um, But there's this intentional thing that's happening. So this this morning for just a moment, as we talk about the idea of never walking alone, as we look at what Jesus did, I want to mention two brief things that we found in Mark chapter three that I think are easy for us to read over and miss as we read the passage. So that we can understand why did Jesus make the selection he did, and what is it that we can do as we think about the idea of never walking alone? Verse 13, it said this. It says, Afterward, Jesus went up to up on a mountain and and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. Now it'd be real easy to read that passage and completely miss the idea that it says the ones he wanted. Jesus took with him the ones he wanted. And we're, we're not told why these. There's no clear understanding as to why these are the ones that he wanted, but only that these are the ones that he wanted. There are a multitude of ways I could think of that Mark could have, could have written this passage. Could have said some. He could have said a few. He could have said 12 of them and not even mentioned their names. But for some reason, as this was written down, it was believed important to say that Jesus took with him the ones that he wanted. And like I said, we're not sure why. We have no evidence at this point in time that they're going to be the most qualified future preachers or evangelists or church leaders. There's no evidence that they're wired for that any more than any other of the disciples might have been. There's no evidence that they've shown any greater faith than anyone else at this point. As a matter of fact, we don't see that they've shown any signs of faith yet. Other than gathering with Jesus and wanting to follow him. There's no understanding that they have more theological training than any others that would have been around. Matter of fact, most of them had zero theological training. There's no understanding that they had more influence They were more popular. They were going to be more important. They were going to be able to affect more people if Jesus took the most popular, the most famous among them. Some of these actually were in careers, in professions. They were from classes that had less respect, less appreciation than other folks who were surely following after Jesus. There is no clear reason why these, other than Mark saying these are the ones that he wanted. These were some of the people that he liked. Maybe he saw something in them, maybe he saw potential in them, maybe he felt like something could come from them that he saw specifically in these and not in others. But all that we're told is that Jesus wanted these. As we think about disciple making and the idea of helping others find their way towards Jesus, come to the place of being faithful followers of Christ, there is no doubt about it that we will have to come in contact with folks that we like and folks that we don't. There is no doubt that we're called to reach people of all kinds of different classes, of all kinds of different races, of all kinds of different backgrounds, of all kinds of different heritages, all kinds of people, some of whom we like and some of whom we won't like. The idea is not here that we only have to pass the faith on to people that we like. But I do think that we can make an argument from what we see with Jesus here, that it's completely appropriate to start with the people... That we want To to make our first work happen Among people who we like Among people who we want to be around Maybe among people who we're already around Sometimes as we talk about evangelism Or we talk about disciple making One of the the, the pushbacks or the challenges that I hear is, Is I don't know who I can't find anyone Often it seems that we get stuck Looking for people to share our faith with we're lost trying to find where they are. And, and there's a couple reasons for that. One, I think, is just statistical. There's a, there's a stat out there that says the longer you and I walk with Jesus, the less and less we know people who aren't churched. The more and more we only hang out around church people and therefore we don't know people who need to follow Christ any longer. There's a great way that we could make an argument that that's part of the reason the church is declining, Right? When the church is no longer around people that don't know Christ, the only way the church can go is down. So there's this challenge to know people who don't know Christ. And yet I would say many of us at least know one, at least know two or three. Some of us know a lot of people. So another thing that I think comes into play, another reality in our struggle for looking for someone to make an influence in their life is that sometimes we get stuck looking for the perfect candidate. For the person who's most ready to make a faith decision. For the person who is perhaps the best specimen for this experiment of trying to share our faith, of of trying to, to make a disciple, of trying to help them progress longer. We have this idea in our head that we've only been successful If conversion happens, we've only been successful in disciple making if they get to this place of conversion. And that's not the model that Jesus showed us. We don't get the understanding from the scriptures that we only win in seeing conversion. Instead, we see a much broader picture of Jesus impacting lives of some who chose to follow and some who walked away. And yet sometimes because we've convinced ourselves that we only are successful if conversion happens, we look for the easiest possible people to get that way. Whoa, they're almost there. This is the one that I want to pour life into. So sometimes we find ourselves lost in searching because we can't find somebody who's easy. We can't find somebody who's ready to make a decision tomorrow. And we're afraid that if they don't, that we somehow look like a failure. I think the challenge that we find in this passage is that you and I should stop looking for best candidates and instead should start with the people who we want. With a coworker who you enjoy spending life around. With a neighbor who has kids the same age as yours. So you're going to naturally intersect and interact from time to time. With a friend who maybe you work out with. People who already you're involved in their life, you're connected with them. Stop searching among the masses. Stop looking for strangers and start with people who are already in your life to begin this work with. And if you do so, eventually you're going to want to do the same among strangers. It's just going to naturally begin to come this overgrowth of what's happening in you. For a long time, I've been challenging you as a church to find two people, two people who you're making a a positive influence of faith in their life. One person who would call themselves a Christ follower, who you feel like if you spend some committed time with, you can help them grow and and move further in their faith journey. And one person who's not a Christ follower who you can help come to the place of making a faith decision, who you can walk with. And maybe, maybe not they ever get to that place, but you have walked with them to help take steps forward. And again in this, I would say, don't start with strangers. And stop fighting so hard to figure out which two people would be the best candidate. Just pick two people who you like. And invest some time in their life. Be intentional with these one or two people and help them grow deeper in their faith. At the same time, it's going to help you grow deeper in your own faith. But you're going to be more effective. You're going to be more intentional if you simply start with people who you want to see move forward in their faith journey. And then the second pushback that I sometimes see come up as we talk about disciple making, as we talk about never walking alone, is this one. But what do I do? So if I find two people, what, what am I supposed to do with them? Again, in the passage, we find some, some explanation as to where we can at least start. Starting in verse 14, it says they were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach. So the 12 that it's talking about, they were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. Now, the second part's important. The idea of preaching, the idea of casting out demons is important. But today, I just want to focus on the first thing that Jesus was asking them to do. The first thing that he was calling them into. The New Living Translation translated it this way. To accompany him. So Jesus took the ones he wanted. Did, why? Because they were to accompany him. Several other translations, I actually like the way that they do it better. As they say, to be with him. Jesus took these twelve because he wanted them to be with him. He wanted to be in a relationship with them. He wanted to spend time around them. He wanted them to be his friends. He wanted to model faithfulness among them. He wanted to show them what it looked like to walk with God. He wanted them to be close to him so they could see how he preached, how he healed people, how he went away from time to time to be alone with the Father. He just wanted them to come and be with him so that they could walk with him as he practiced his own faithfulness to God. They wanted them, he wanted them to see his faith journey and then imitate it. Hey friends, that's disciple making. Believe it or not, it is, it is that simple. It is that easy. And in the idea of disciple making, this too is evangelism. Because we're allowing people to see our faith, to experience our faith, to walk beside our faith. In the method that Jesus practiced, there was no guide, there was no workbook, there was no video series. I know we all feel more comfortable if we can find one. But there doesn't have to be one. Jesus' method of making disciples was to never walk alone. He took those he wanted with them and he showed them how to follow God. He taught them ministry by letting them watch him do it and then giving them a chance to do it alongside him. And I know, I know, I know so many of us are saying, but I I don't know how to make disciples. I don't know how to do this. I don't know enough scripture. I don't know enough theology. I don't know enough about how to tell someone else to grow in their faith. I'm not sure how to do that. And hear me. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, please hear this. If the person next to you is asleep, jab them for just a moment. I want to hear this. I want them to hear this. Greg, make sure Morgan's awake. Is she awake? (laughs) Ha ha ha. You do know enough. You do. Are you trying to follow Jesus? Are you in your own faith journey making sure that you are looking for practices and ways in which you can grow in your own faith? Are are you striving to look more and more like Jesus somehow, no matter how little or how large your movements are right now? Is there some movement towards following Jesus more faithfully, any movement at all? If there is, then you know enough to share that with others. Take what you are already doing and then never walk alone. Ask one or two other people to come into your faith journey, to come into what you're doing to grow in your faith, to come into what you're doing to follow Jesus more faithfully. Let them watch your journey. Show them what it looks like for you to be more faithful. Show them what it looks like for you to fail in your faith and then try and fail forward, fall forward, and get up again and move forward in what you're doing. Let other people watch what it looks like for you to grow in your faith and then encourage them to do the same thing. But that's that's, that's too simple, isn't it? It's too easy. I I know. It's this combination of both too simple and way too in the middle of your life. It's this idea of giving up too much, of showing too much, and yet that's exactly what Jesus did. These twelve stood by him when he cried out most desperately to God. These twelve stood by him when he was in his deepest suffering. These twelve were watching As he was growing, as he was practicing Sabbath, as he was preaching, as he was healing, as he was searching for more disciples, as he was failing in acquiring more disciples. These stood alongside him as we're told this rich young ruler who he's often called came and said, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, this is what you have to do. Sell everything you own and come follow me. And we get the idea that the man turned and walked the other way and Jesus never chased him down. These 12 and others got to see what it was like for Jesus to follow faithfully after God. And that's what Jesus has asked of us. Friends, never walk alone. Walk in faith together. This will grow you and your faith. It will grow others as they have a chance to watch and walk beside you. This is how we grow the kingdom. This is discipleship. It's evangelism. This is disciple making. This is what we've said we are called to. Friends, this is our calling as Christ followers, that you and I would be willing to never walk alone, believing that in it we grow in our faith and others grow in theirs. Two months ago, as we started this series, you put a name down on a piece of paper of someone that you would begin praying for And I will encourage you to continue to focus on the names of those people, those one or two that you're praying for, that you're looking for ways to celebrate and serve, that you're practicing radical hospitality with, and that you would walk towards the idea of getting towards this sixth step where you simply decide to never walk alone. You will invite them into your own faith journey and let them see you succeed and fail and try and try again. Because in this, we are being the body of Christ. We are sharing with others the journey of faith. We're making disciples. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it is my prayer that this morning you will place in the hearts and minds of those who are gathered here another person or two whom they could invite to walk with them in their faith journey. Another person or two who they could disciple. Another person or two who they could be a person of influence among. Another person or two who they believe that if they just invite them to walk with them in their journey, both journeys will progress forward. Would you make that person or two clear in the hearts and minds of those of us who are sitting here? So clear that we see their faces. Maybe even that we hear their name spoken in our ears as if there's someone sitting behind us who whispers their name to us. Holy Spirit, moves so clearly and so boldly that we cannot deny who you are laying in our life. And then God, give us courage to follow you. Give us courage to choose to walk forward in pursuing these steps. In growing our own faith and seeing the faith of others grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, for the next few minutes, we want to spend some time singing some songs of worship together. But also allowing you some moments. Some moments to reflect. Maybe to, to listen further to the voice of God. Maybe you haven't yet heard the name of who it is that Christ might be asking you to speak into their life. Maybe you can't yet think about who that is or what that looks like. So maybe you need to sit for a moment and just reflect. What is it that the Holy Spirit is speaking specifically to you? Who is it that Jesus is laying in your heart today? And in spending some time to reflect, we also invite you to respond. Maybe you need to respond by by making a commitment and writing it down on a piece of paper. Maybe on the back of the bulletin, you need to write those names down so that you can say, "All right, this is it. This is what I hear from God. I'm committing to this person. Maybe you need to come and you need to pray. Perhaps here at the altar, perhaps with, with someone else in our church. Maybe you need to be prayed with or prayed for. Maybe you need to pray together with Callie or myself. We will be here and we're we're more than willing to pray with you or for you. Maybe this morning you need to make your own faith decision. That today you will decide to walk with Jesus. I don't know what God may be calling you to do, but we give you this time. We invite you to listen to his voice and to respond as he calls. If in no other way, respond to the voice of God by choosing to worship him through song together and join us in this.